In this episode of the Pickleball Fire podcast, pro player Taylor Taylor talks about how she used pickleball to develop community outreach programs in Memphis and why she started building pickleball courts during the pandemic. Taylor also goes deep into what it means to have shot tolerance in pickleball and how this can improve your game. So let's get to the intro to hear more from Taylor. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I would like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, Taylor Taylor. Welcome, Taylor. Well, thank you, Lynn. It's wonderful to be here. I really appreciate you inviting me to be on your podcast. It's great to have you on. And I just realized how funny that was in that welcome statement where I said Taylor three times. Yeah, right. It is weird. I know. And we have funny stories and lots of conversations. The good news is I've, I haven't been explaining it for 49 years. I have been explaining it for almost 20 though, but, but I, I was invited to, to have dinner with someone whose last name was Taylor and I wasn't going to go. And I, I just said, no way I can't do it. What if I like him and fall in love with him and marry him? Then I'll have this really weird name. And then my mom knew his parents, of course, because Memphis is a small, big town. And so I went out with him. And next thing you know, a couple years later, we're getting married. And and after much debate, we just ended up going for Taylor Taylor. <laughs> so I get a lot of like, when I check in for tournaments and stuff, like, I'm really sorry, but I think there's something wrong with our system. Or somebody made a mistake when they typed in. And I'm like, no, actually, they didn't. It's It's all good. <laughs> So it's been fun. It's been fun and definitely memorable. People do not forget typically that that that's my name. So, you know, I, I really love that because it is fun and it's so interesting that you almost didn't have dinner with somebody you almost married just because of their name. And that actually reminds me a lot of pickleball. And so tell me a little bit about your pickleball story and and actually what you might've thought about the name of the game when you first heard about it. Well, I think, you know, while our sport has come a really long way in the last three or four years, people do, I mean, just yesterday I had a conversation with somebody who said almost verbatim what I said when someone was trying to introduce me to the sport. And that was like, I don't really think I can play a game called pickleball. Like I'm a, I'm a five Oh tennis player, you know, what, what? And I've been a tennis pro for 20 years. I can't, I don't, I don't know, but it is it is real. Obviously it is no joke. And I remember when I first was introduced to it thinking, I've got to find out if this is for real. And so before I'd ever even played hardly and played a tournament, I I booked a trip to the U S open in Naples and was like, I'm going to find out if this is for real. And I'll never forget walking into that facility where I had played tennis in the past and there not being a single tennis court there anymore. And, you know, 50 or 30 or however many pickleball courts and 1400 people and crazy. And I came home and I haven't looked back. It was, it was, I was hooked weird name or not. Maybe that, maybe I'm just a weird name person, but I think pickleball is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. (laughs) And, and I think it's the great, one of the greatest things that's ever happened to a lot of people. And I'm glad they didn't change the name. I think, I think the name is, is so unique and the story is so much fun. And, and now, you know, it's very legit, clearly. 
That's certainly true because you were actually playing in a tournament this last weekend in the pro division and you were talking about, you know, all the TVs and the cameras and the pro tour. What was that all like for you? It was insane. So there was a center court, you know, with seating and everything. They had, they had done a really nice job too of making it COVID safe, but they, they had t- cameras like on those lifts, you know, that go up above the fence. And, and I spent 41 years at the professional tennis tournament here in Memphis at the club where I used to work and where I grew up playing junior tennis. And so the cameras in the corners of the court and all that, you know, I'd seen for tennis, of course, and seeing it, I guess this was the first time really, I guess I'd seen it live. I was, I just, it's just fascinating to me how much it's grown. And this facility had, they were going to put in like four pickleball courts on one of their tennis courts and they got, wind of how much growth there was in the sport. And they ended up putting, you know, like 20 pickleball courts in, undoing the tennis and putting in those courts, building the stadium court with like four kind of grandstand courts next to it and have plans to build another like 30. So being on that center court, fortunately for my match, it was early in the morning and there were no cameras turned on yet because we played Matt Wright and Lucy Kovalova in the first round. And what an experience it was without all the hoopla, but seeing people commentating on pickleball matches and it being televised and live streamed is, is, is just so, it's so wonderful that, that the the country and the people are embracing it. And now, you know, there's, there's advertising and media embracing it as well. So I think it's, I think it's so exciting. And there were like, I don't know, I think 2000 people in that tournament. I just wanted to break in here and say, as pickleball players, we want to get better at the sport. And it was in a recent interview with Hella Spar, I realized I didn't even do 10% of what she talked about on the court. So I've signed up for a doubles course, and you may want to consider doing so too. You can get more information by going to pickleballfire.com doubles. And just to let you know, I do make an affiliate commission if you purchase her course, and this helps to support the Pickleball Fire podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Wow. I know. That is so great for the game. And one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the podcast is because you do a lot with pickleball and community outreach. So it's not just all about the pros and the big events, but Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear more about what you're doing with the community aspect. So, yeah. So a couple of years, so two years ago, I guess I, I was sort of, you know, maybe it's a midlife thing. I don't know, but I was like, what am I going to do for the second half of my life? I just don't know if I want to, you know, be, I just don't know what, there's something bigger than what I'm doing right now. I, I know it, but I don't know what it is. And so I started just sort of, you know, brainstorming and thinking about what, what I might like. And, and when I was in graduate school in 1999, I wrote a, my thesis for graduate school which was in, in clinical social work, it was called The Ground Strokes of Life. And it was about, it was a tennis program that taught tennis along with, you know, valuable life lessons and, and introduced important characteristics and, and meaningful, you know, conversations into the game of tennis. And, 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 and there are lots of sports that obviously anything like these kind of things applies to. Well, when I started thinking about whether I 
would do that for tennis, it, it, it wasn't as exciting to me as thinking about maybe I could apply it to pickleball. And pickleball is so easy to facilitate. It's relatively inexpensive even now. It's it's for everyone. It's the game for everyone. It's 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 big. It's it, it, people with no racket sport experience can do it. People with no athletic background can do it. People that are big, people that are small, people that, you know, every it really does cross a lot of boundaries. And so I started thinking that maybe I could adapt that that paper that I wrote and make it a, a curriculum basically to teach. And so I, I put it on paper. I started talking to people about it. I started looking into what type organizations or institutions or schools or whatever might be interested in it. And then we were, I was fortunate enough to get a three-year grant from a, a foundation here in Memphis to help get it off the ground. And so we started GAME, which stands for, it's an acronym that stands for Group Activities Meaningful to Everyone. So one day we might apply this curriculum to, you know, tiddlywinks. I don't know, but but you could apply it to most anything. For now, my sport game of choice is pickleball. So we wrote that, you know, got it all put together and started just getting out in the community and, and trying to introduce it. And we were working with a group here that's run by the ACE Awareness Foundation. The, the curriculum is based off of adverse childhood experiences research. Like pickleball, we all have adverse childhood experiences. They look different, but almost everyone would rate it with at least one adverse childhood experience out of, so there's a questionnaire that one can take. Just give a few examples of what those experiences are. Cause you said, you know, most people would have at least one. Yeah. So having substance abuse in your family, you know, a parent or grandparent or relative, whether they're, you know, that's in the home that has addiction issues there, there, you know, if there's violence, whether it's, you know, domestic violence looks different. Uh, it, it varies along a scale, but you know, if there's a lot of screaming and yelling or, 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 or more violent, you know, having an incarcerated parent, there are, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes along with just this, this toxic stress, the concept of toxic stress and what impact that has on your neurological system and your brain development. So those things impact, can directly impact the brain architecture, as well as the kind of how activated your fight and flight system is. I mean, so if there's a lot of fear of of something bad happening at home, that system stays activated on the flight sort of at that level. And that is very damaging physically, emotionally, and and mentally and emotionally and physically. So there's a lot of correlation now um, between adverse childhood experiences and heart disease and diabetes and obesity, along with mental illness, along with addiction. So one of the one of the concepts for me, sort of universalizing and sort of normalizing the conversation around adverse childhood experiences, just like we're sort of universalizing uh, this concept of uh, this game of pickleball to lots of people. Now, if we can, if we can normalize the conversation some, then we 
tend to uh, dissipate some of the shame and the guilt that goes along with that behavior. And then ultimately we're able to slow down or mitigate the, the perpetuation of those behaviors, just allowing people to be open and okay about the fact that they had a parent in prison or that they were abused as a child gives people sort of a a freedom and an empowerment to overcome and not pass down all these, you know, dangerous behaviors. So can you give, say, one example maybe of somebody who has been involved in game and really what pickleball has done for them as a result of that? So we have a lot of what what we've seen and what we've heard from the people we've been able to touch, which is a lot of people at this point. So between uh, we've primarily tried to focus on children and their adult because of the intergenerational part of pickleball that's fascinating to me, but also because there's typically a breakdown in the bond between child and adult. So we wanted to go in and be able to sort of to, to help strengthen that relationship and what what we've found and what we've heard is that it's you know people are so they're very happy when they leave there's a bilateral stimulation that happens when you dink that prevents you from worrying about what you're going to put on the table for dinner perhaps or how you're going to find another job or how you're going to take care of your you know four children and so what we've what we've understood is that there's a lot there's a huge amount of stress relief that goes along with our our just hitting a pickleball and then when you layer in we take each letter of the word pickleball p i c k and we address, we we attach a life lesson to each letter so p for example participation i impulse control c communication and we specifically teach serve and return communication which obviously fits really well with the sport and then k kindness and so on and so when you layer that in on top of a skill that that release it that helps you be physically active helps you release endorphins and serotonin in your body, then you leave with a better outlook and also with a goal of trying to practice that lesson with yourself and with your family. So we have people, you know, we've been able to get consistency with some of our groups, some of the groups, it's a little bit more challenging, but they walk away feeling like they've accomplished something that they weren't born, obviously knowing how to do. They've learned something new. They've challenged themselves. They've bonded with their child. They've, they, they have a sense of confidence. They tell us that they feel really proud of themselves and, and of their children, which is something that, you know, unless you're, unless you're willing to recognize and tell somebody like, I, it doesn't matter if I'm proud of you, but you should be proud of you, then that, that that's not a conversation that a lot of people are having. So overall, as, as far as overall wellness, this type of alternative therapy, which is what we call it, is is incredibly beneficial. And and again, spans a large group. So from we had three, four, and five-year-olds in in our in our preschool class, and up to, you know, I've taught up through element to through eighth grade, pretty much. We haven't done a lot with high school kids yet, but that's on the agenda. Really, let, me, let me ask one question too. Do you find that, you know, once people kind of go through the program, do the kids and adults kind of keep, keep playing even, you know, after they've, 
after the program? So that's another layer of game that really happened during COVID. So we, when, when COVID hit, we obviously had to, we had to stop teaching our classes. We weren't allowed to teach. And I had a garage full of equipment that was just sitting there. And so I put on Facebook, you know, does anybody want to borrow this equipment during COVID? You can play in your driveway with your family. Well, that blew up and we ended up selling over what we called, we called them COVID kits, over 60 COVID kits that included a net, four paddles and three balls. Then people started asking if, if I could install a court at their, at their home. And so on a, on a micro level, we were going to people's houses and painting lines. Now I actually have a partner and can build a a full pickleball court from scratch or tennis court. And the proceeds from that job, half of the profit goes directly to games so that we can now go into neighborhoods and put pickleball courts in for the communities that we're going into anyway and teaching our class. Right now there isn't, they don't have access to pickleball outside of whatever organization they're involved with, whether it's Universal Parenting Place or Boys and Girls Club or the or the school, they don't have access to it. So the the next layer is for us to fundraise enough so that we can afford to to put courts into a Binghampton, which is a neighborhood here, or Smoky Klondike or Orange Mound, and then facilitate, you know, clinics and and socials and and also game curriculum in those neighborhoods for those families. So we hope that by the end of, you know, by in the next two years that we've got a pickleball court in every under-resourced neighborhood here. And then that we are training people outside of our area to do the same in their communities. Well, that's quite a goal. And it sounds like you're a little stopped in terms of progress due to COVID, but you also pivoted a little bit and sounds like you found some different opportunities. We did. I mean, we ended up putting in 20 courts at people's houses and then we painted eight courts at our local Jewish community center Two at, uh, well, four courts at two different private clubs here in town and just, just got a contract yesterday to do a ground, a court from the, from the concrete up at someone's house. And that to me, that was what COVID, the blessing of COVID has been for us to be able to really generate awareness and, and, and create some, some, some affinity in our donor base. So we couldn't have a huge fundraiser, but we held clinics and every, you know, every, and every dime that I, that I make, whether we make it off of a paddle or off of a lesson or a clinic, everything goes back into game so that we have the resources to do what we need to do that that people can't afford to pay for. So building this donor base this year has been such a blessing and having people reach out who 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 do have resources and want to play pickleball and then knowing that they are contributing to somebody else getting to experience that joy and that that bond and that socialization with their families is to me, you know, is it's it's, it's very rewarding for for everyone. It's just such a win-win. So we pivoted, we adapted, and we have had a very successful year. But our our goal and our mission is to be back with those families and those children. And so, you know, we're, we're meeting with all the charter schools. On Monday, we have a meeting with somebody who runs a, a good number of the charter schools here. And, and we're talking about getting back in there in the fall because people are still nervous, obviously. But once, you know, most everybody's vaccinated, we feel confident that we'll be back to doing what we want to do, but, but it'll be on an even bigger scale. So, you know, everybody has had their challenges this year and I'm incredibly grateful 
for whatever reason, thinking it was a good idea to put it out there for people to play pickleball during the pandemic and during the quarantine. And now it's just, it's blown up. There are tons more people playing pickleball in our city now as well. And so we're working really hard to, with our municipalities and our parks and rec groups to get additional courts there for anyone and everyone to have access to. Right. You know, as mentioned, I think by one of the New York newspapers, pickleball has kind of been the perfect pandemic pastime and the amount of growth is was substantial. I think I saw yesterday that day that for 2020, it was over 20, 20% just year over yeah. year growth. That's what I've heard. And I, and I, I just think it's, it, it it's, it's just going to continue to, to grow. I think people feel good when they play pickleball, they love the socialization. They love the community. The people that play pickleball and the community around pickleball is so inclusive. And when you and I were talking about how, you know, just by default, you end up teaching other people because you're there and they show up and don't know what to do. And, and that to me is a really, really important part of this culture. And, and I hope that that continues to be a, a, a high priority for anybody who's engaged in the game. But I think that people know it's, it's healthy and it's happy and it's fun. And the more people we get it out there to the, the better, the more growth we're going to see. And I, I just think it's on an upward rise. I'm, I'm shocked by the number of people who want to have an actual pickleball court at their house. And I think I told my husband the other day, I was like, I don't think anybody's going to have a swimming pool in 10 years, but they're all going to have a pickleball court. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a lot less maintenance, right? Oh, yeah. I've had a pool before. <laughs> I agree totally. Yeah. But, you know, you do have such a, a great teaching background and, you know, are an accomplished player yourself. So, you know, just to finish up the interview, let's take a few minutes here and, and talk about, you know, kind of a component of the game. And there's something that you had mentioned that I thought would make a lot of sense to talk about. And it's called shot tolerance. Can you explain what that means? Sure. I think so. I, we talked about it a lot in tennis. I think it's even more applicable to pickleball. So when you start out playing pickleball and you you understand the concept of dinking and you realize you've got to stand seven feet away from that net and it's sort of scary, but you start to 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 buy into the whole the whole strategy, which which requires a lot of discipline and a lot of intentionality, you realize that your comfort level there is is not great, right? And that you're you you might be able to go back and forth with a dink two or three times. Well, when you really start playing, you realize that the longer you can keep the ball on the ground, meaning you can bounce it in front of the other person, the opponent, the more advantage you have, the better off you are, the more, the more actually offensive you are in a lot of ways. So our shot tolerance starts out pretty low and that applies to everything. I mean, I missed a lot of return of serves and serves when I first started playing pickleball because the court is teeny tiny, right? So I had to work on building up my shot tolerance. So for dinking, I think it kind of starts out for most people at two or three and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I got it to bounce twice. Well, the number is probably realistically more like we need you to get it to bounce like 30 times and not that you're going to have 30 ball dink rallies every point, but in order to be confident, you need to know that you can hit 30 dinks. Right. So, so for me, I like to talk about shot tolerance a lot when I'm teaching and I'm still working obviously on my shot tolerance because I got to 30, but if I want to be competitive at the very highest level, 
my shot tolerance probably needs to be more like 60 because if I know that I can keep the ball on the ground 60 times more than like more, more often than not, the other person, the other team will make a mistake or they'll pop it up and I will have made a great, you know, created a great opportunity for my partner to, to finish off the, the, the rally. So shot tolerance for me is, you know, can I hit 10 third shot drops in a row? Now, would you ever have to hit 10 in a row? Hopefully not, because then you wouldn't be, you wouldn't really be effective at the game, but knowing that I can gives me confidence. So I just always encourage my students to break the court down from the non-volley zone backwards and think about and, and check yourself. How many times, how many times can I do this before I start to feel anxious, before I start to feel like, oh my gosh, I've got to make something happen. I need to speed it up. And I talk about this with my female partner a lot. Like we are all impatient and we want to speed it up. And if I speed up a red ball, a ball that's like below my knee, I'm not going to have a lot of success. So I've got to trust my skills and I've got to put in the work to build up my shot tolerance. Now you mentioned a red ball. Is the idea a red ball is not attackable? Right. So a red ball in my mind is, and, and, and we talk about this a lot. I think a lot of teaching pros probably use this analogy, but the red ball kind of like from your knee down you could take it out of the air, right? I'm not saying you have to let that ball bounce every time, but if you take a red ball out of the air, you need to be able to pick it up and drop it and make it non, not attackable, unattackable for your opponent. Because if you try to attack a red ball, chances are it's going in the net or it's going up so that it can clear the net and that gives your opponent opportunity to hit down. So a yellow ball would be somewhere between your, your knee and your, and your, chest or your waist a little above your waist right so I might be able to attack a yellow ball if it's the right I'm in the right position and it's the right ball but I also know that a lot of times I need to take a yellow ball and reset it meaning drop it back over again and make it bounce and then if I get a green ball obviously above my a little higher than my waist or above my chest that's a green means go right and that's one that I can punish a a little more and and hopefully have that you know, a positive outcome. I always just say, you know, wherever the person is, is the simple, stupid thing is to hit it at their feet. So because the court is tiny, even people get a little crazy with green balls, but the bottom line is we shouldn't be attacking anything from the knee down for sure, possibly from the waist down and then going for more on something higher than your waist. Now in talking about shot tolerance a little bit further, one of the things that I think about is, you know, in in a dink rally, it can be pretty straightforward that your opponent's not putting a lot of pressure on you. But what about when they're hitting a dink to you that comes out wide? I mean, it seems like in that situation, it's much harder to, they're putting so much pressure on you. So it's hard to be effective in having shot tolerance. Obviously you should, but they're making the shot difficult for you is kind of the point. How, how do you deal with that? I think dealing, I think the best way of dealing with that is probably just making sure that you're dinking and getting your shot tolerance 
comfort, comfortable shot tolerance for you going all four directions. So meaning if I, if someone stretches me out wide, for, first of all, I mean, I guess I have the around the post option, but that's not necessarily a recreational shot for all of us. And in fact, it's not a very easy shot for me, but, but I need to be able probably to, I probably, my best bet is to drop that ball back straight in front of me so that I have time to recover just those two feet back into the quarter, however far. I think that knowing that I can direct my dink. So you get your shot tolerance, but then you also have to consider accuracy and and being consistent in a particular direction so that whatever comes your way, you feel confident that you can defend against it. You know, uh, I don't, we don't talk about the lob a whole lot. I mean, that's obviously an option if I'm out of position, but, but, but more than anything, I think, you know, shot tolerance is, is you're going to get that to 30 and then you're going to layer in accuracy and you're going to practice going left toe, right toe, left toe, right toe, or you're going to practice going really sharp angle, sharp angle, sharp angle until you can't, if you generate an, if you hit an angle back, you're going to get burned down the middle or your partner's going to get burned down the line. So then you need to go straight ahead and take that angle away from your opponent. So does that make, does that answer your question? Yes. Yes, absolutely. That that's perfect. Good. It's, right. it's, such a, it's such a strategically in, in interesting and enticing game to me. Like, I just love to think about, well, I just think that the strategy is so important and I can have a lot of shots, but if I don't choose the right one at the right time, you know, I put us at risk. So continuing to learn, continuing to study the game, it's changing still even more every day because of paddle technology and ball development, you know, and, and people coming in with racket sport backgrounds and being able to sort of manipulate the game now more and more with whatever they come to the table with as far as skills. So, you know, being had one of our lessons in game is the last L in pickleball is lifelong learner, you know, and I just really encourage everyone to have a growth mindset and to just know that wherever you are in your game, you can get better. You can do more, you can learn, you can achieve your goals with 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 intentional deliberate practicing just like we can achieve our goals in life with deliberate and intentional living that all sounds great and i really love what you're doing with games so if somebody wants to get more information from you and they live in memphis or even if people you know who are teachers or want to implement game in some way in their communities what's the best way to get a hold of you so we're in the middle of kind of updating and revamping our website, but right now they can go to Ace and Game. So A C E A N D G A M E dot com. That's our that's our website. And there's a way to contact us that's on the website. Also, in anyone and everyone is welcome to email me at acegametaylor, A-C-E-G-A-M-E, Taylor, at gmail.com. We do have the Train the Trainer curriculum developed. We are ready to go to, to communities and train um, others how to implement our program. We, we, we would follow those people. We will help with so head pin pickleball, they, they sponsor game. And so we have reduced pricing for equipment and pin donates all the balls. So whatever programming we may start up in other areas, we, we as game would be able to facilitate the equipment and every piece of this program for that particular person or that particular community. So 
So for sure, anybody and anyone who's interested in having a court put in, remember that whatever you whatever whatever you do along the different lines of game, we sell apparel, we sell equipment, all of that goes back into helping us facilitate this for people who don't have the resources to do so. So, you know, we are so grateful for anyone to go on our website and, and look at our shop or or, or learn more about how to get involved. We are going to have a big tournament in, in in partnership with the Church Health Center, which is an organization here in Memphis. In March of 2022, everything that we do and make from that event goes back into games. So hopefully we'll get participants from all over the country. That's our goal. And there'll be more out informa- information out about that on social media and on our website as well. All right. Well, Taylor, Taylor, I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. So great in terms of everything you're doing in the community. And then also appreciate the tips up for the pickleball players. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you for all that you're doing. You're, you're doing a phenomenal job getting the word out and, and teaching people how to take care of themselves and, and learn and be better. And it's all wonderful. So I love this community. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. 